So we have this letter of Paul being isolated, separated, imprisoned. And so he's writing to Timothy, um, not to complain about his circumstance or his situation, but, but rather um, aware that the work that he's done isn't complete. There's more to do with these churches. There's more work to be done for the Gospels, and it's going to be other people that are going to carry on uh, in his absence. And so he's turning to Timothy. Paul, in this moment where he's realizing his work is quickly coming to an end, he turns to Timothy, this young leader, and gives him instructions and reminds him about what's important. Now, this, this seems like a pretty big moment for Paul. Right? All his work over the years of starting churches, of preaching the gospel, of pastoring these churches, of working to resolve conflicts, to help people understand what the gospel meant for their lives, uh, confronting false teachers, opposing governments and rulers. He teaches and preaches um, every chance he gets. All of that is coming to an end. And he knows the job isn't done yet. And so at this point, he needs to trust others to continue that work. He knows that the gospel needs to continue to be preached. Churches need pastors. Um, the gospel uh, hasn't reached everyone yet. Work needs to continue. And so he needs to trust others to do this. And, and he needs to connect with others who know what, what the plan is that they will continue teaching the gospel of Jesus correctly, teaching the right gospel and so in chapter 4, Paul tells Timothy about people who had left the ministry or had left Paul, right? So you're reading the story and it's, it's kind of this heartbreaking, people that have abandoned the ministry. He says only Luke is with him. And so he reaches out to Timothy, this young man, and gives him instruction how to continue this work that he started. This most important work that Paul is about to give his life for He's now handing the baton over to Timothy. You see what's happening here in this, this story? This is, this is more than a, hey, I'm going to be gone. Here's some things to do in my absence. This is the, I'm not going to be able to continue this work, and you're going to have to be the one that picks it up. He's handing him the baton. Not to let others look down on you in your youth, he tells Timothy. Don't let them condemn you or judge you because you are young. So Timothy is a young man. There's some scholars that believe uh, he's as young as 16 uh, or 17 when he started working with Paul. And so that would put him about 19, 20, 21 years old when this Second Timothy letter is written. So Paul is entrusting this ministry. Paul, this apostle that is, is renowned, is on the radar of, of governments and rulers and and, and has done this great work with all these churches, that Paul is writing to a 20-year-old saying, you're next. So what is it that gives Paul the confidence to trust this young man? As he was sitting in that dungeon prison, as his life is quickly coming to an end and he's aware of those realities and of all the people that he's met, all the people he's worked with in the ministry, everything that he has done over the years, what would take Paul, take this important mission of sharing the gospel, of, of working with these churches, what would lead him to turn to a 20-year-old? How could Paul choose Timothy in this situation? Of all the people he could have called, written, reached out to, he chose Timothy. It's a lot of responsibility to put on a young man. 
So how did Timothy become this choice for Paul? I mentioned a few weeks ago in in one of the messages that sometimes we read the scriptures and and what appears to be some throwaway lines or some some context that is just kind of fluff or some details, you know, just some window dressing. Um, But in those those lines that we might glance over or just kind of skip through, um, there's some information that helps us understand the context. Um, Verse five that we read a moment ago is one of those verses. It can... It may at, at the surface feel kind of just like a, a greeting type of thing, but it's, in reality it gives us some context, some clue as to why Paul is reaching out to Timothy in this moment, how Paul could trust Timothy with this ministry. So we've got uh, a slide for verse five. Um, maybe. There it is. This is what uh, verse five says. This is... Again, Paul writing to Timothy, he says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that lived first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure lives in you. So Paul knew that Timothy's uh, mother and grandmother were people of deep faith. He knew that Eunice and Lois had a relationship with Jesus, that they had a deep faith, right? But this sermon today isn't about... um, kind of genetic faith. There's no spiritual DNA. Um, It would be awesome if being born into a Christian family meant that you had a faith that was just delivered to you, but that's not how it works, right? Our faith is personal. Uh, We are part of a tradition uh, that believe that you have to choose for yourself what your relationship with Jesus is going to be. Just being born into a Christian family doesn't automatically make you a devoted faithful disciple. And so the message today isn't about being part of a Christian family, although we could probably talk about that, but that's not the message today. Uh, Nor is the sermon today a highlight or exploring our mission and vision at First Church about reaching the next generation. Um, I think that's absolutely critical. It's something that we talk about a lot, um, reaching the next generation, but Um, That's not what we're talking about today. Today's message is a little bit more broad. It's more universal. Um, We're in a series about being apprentices who follow Jesus, um, receiving this on-the-job training, so learning to do the work that Jesus has for us while we follow Jesus. So how did Timothy become a disciple who makes disciples? How did he become this person who Paul turned to uh, in this dark moment for him? Well, think about the roller coaster example that I started with this morning. Did someone tell Timothy about Jesus? I'm sure they did. I mean, maybe Paul, maybe Eunice, maybe Lois, maybe others, right? There's probably people that were telling information to Timothy about Jesus. This is his life. This is his story. This is what he did. Like, I'm sure that message got shared. The Bible says that Paul taught Timothy many things. And I'm sure grandmother and mother, you know, Lois and Eunice taught Timothy some things as well. But a lot of people heard about Jesus. I mean, there's a lot of people that heard about Jesus and didn't become Paul's protege. Like I said moments ago in chapter four, there were some people that heard about Jesus and walked away. The gospel was proclaimed all over the place. Anywhere Paul and the others could take it, they proclaimed the gospel. 
Hundreds, maybe even thousands had heard the message from Paul alone. And there was others preaching the gospel. And in the same way that I explained uh, a roller coaster ride, I'm sure simply explaining faith to Timothy wasn't enough for Paul. He wasn't looking for someone that knew some information. When it came time to pick who was going to lead this ministry after he was gone, he wasn't looking for somebody that knew information about Jesus. It wasn't enough when looking at who's going to entrust this ministry to after his death. So if it's not about hearing information, maybe someone showed Timothy what it meant to be a disciple of Jesus. He played the video for him, right? Paul indicates that Lois and Eunice had a faith that lived in them. Timothy's mother and his grandmother were faithful women, active in the church community, They were probably great role models for Timothy. He probably witnessed them as they cared for the sick, cared for the poor. They demonstrated to him what disciples do. So Timothy probably got a front row seat to faith in action. He probably grew up learning how they made the choices that they made, how they prioritized uh, what they did, how their lives were shaped by this community of faith called church. The early church was known for its care of the poor, for the sick, for orphans, for widows. The early church, they they sold their own property if there was need in the group. Um, Those who were wealthy were expected to support those who were not. It was a community where the well-being of others uh, came before the well-being of oneself. And Timothy grew up with a front row seat to this, with Eunice and Lois. He watched his mother and his grandmother demonstrate that kind of faith. And so not only did he hear about Jesus, but he saw faith in action. And again, in my roller coaster example, my YouTube video, probably gave you a better idea of what I was talking about than just information. You saw it, you had a a front row, just a glimpse, a promo, a commercial, um, the ability to see it at work probably gives you a better picture of what it is than just me describing it. Likewise, being close to people who are living in faith, being in proximity to those who are living uh, out their relationship with Jesus, um, Timothy probably saw and experienced things by watching. But beyond telling Timothy about a roller coaster and beyond showing Timothy a video of a roller coaster, Paul has been inviting Timothy to ride the roller coaster with him. Paul provides opportunities for Timothy to actually be an apprentice. He received on-the-job training. The second half of the book of Acts tells some stories about Paul as he mentored Timothy. Paul writes letters to other churches about the different things that Timothy is doing and how he's a servant of the gospel. The book we read from last week, 1 Timothy, is evidence that Paul not only told Timothy what it meant to be a disciple, but he invited him to participate firsthand in the mission. Last week, if you remember, Paul was writing to encourage Timothy to confront false teaching in the church. And he was giving him instruction and encouragement and helping him understand the context and how to respond to this false teaching. Timothy was being mentored. 
Timothy was an apprentice of Paul. He was being discipled by Paul. Not only was he told, not only was he shown, but he was invited to participate in the life of faith as a disciple of Jesus. And to borrow a much used uh, pastor's phrase, I've heard it for years from a lot of different pastors, faith is caught more than it is taught. And while I love a good phrase that rhymes, um, there's a challenge built into that phrase. Faith is caught more than it is taught. And honestly, I believe it's one of the largest challenges that faces the church today. Um, I mean, I'm not ignoring the fact that culture is changing and probably is more secular um, and kind of ignores the church, apathetic to spiritual things than maybe before. Culture has definitely changed over the years. Um, Conflicts within the church, when people do hear about the church, it's usually scandal, abuse, something terrible that doesn't look well on, on us as Christians. So that probably doesn't help either. But I, I'm still going to stick to say that the biggest challenge uh, that the church faces today is this idea that faith is caught more than it is taught. Because I believe that this large challenge for the church shows up in the fact that millions of Christians gather in churches every Sunday. Right now, there are millions of people all in churches, um, or they've already met and are at, at lunch already, um, and they walk out their door of their church on Sunday, and their Monday is no different than anybody else's. People in the church, people who have been born into Christian families, people who have a strong commitment to going to church every week even, they maybe even do Bible studies throughout the week, but somehow people do all that church activity and don't become deeply formed disciples of Jesus who make disciples of other people. And I've heard some commentary on this, and in fact, I've probably said some of these things, but people say these believers... These Christians don't want to make the commitment. They want to sprinkle in a little Jesus in their life, but don't actually desire to be a disciple. Right? We want to be a Christian in name only type of thing. Maybe they want to go to heaven when they die, but they don't want to live in obedience to God today. They want to live in the kingdom today. And there's probably people that fit that category, probably plenty of people that, that fit that category. Um, but being a pastor for these past several years has has taught me a different perspective. And that is people who show up on Sunday morning, people who put their money in offering plates to support the work of the church, people that stand up and sit down a whole bunch of times as we ask you to, people who come and listen to me speak, right? Like, I mean, this is, right? Um, That's more than a passive level of commitment. That's more than just a, well, I hope everything turns out okay. These are people that are doing exactly what we've asked them to do. They're doing exactly what Christians have been uh, invited to do in the recent past. They told, "This this is what makes you a good Christian, doing these things. And so they do it. You do it. The problem might turn out to be that for too long, the church has really loved telling people about how to be a Christian, how to follow Jesus. The focus of a Sunday service is the sermon. The way to get people saved is to explain to them the realities of heaven and hell, 
and what they need to know about Jesus. Information transmission is what's important. I was in a gas station bathroom not that long ago, and I ran across a card in this bathroom, gas station bathroom, uh, in a card, and on the front, it said that I was going to hell. I don't remember the exact phrase, but I found this card in the bathroom that said I was going to hell. On the back, oh, it said flip it over if you don't want to. So it says something like, you're going to hell, flip this card over if you don't want to go. So I flipped it over, because that was pretty convincing. On the back were five bullet points, and each bullet point had a, a, a verse address. It doesn't have the full verse, it just said, you know, John 3.16 or whatever, next to the, the phrase. Um, at the bottom of this card, under the five bullet points, it said, believe all this, and you are saved. <laughs> believe all this, and you are a child of God. 15 seconds alone in a gas station bathroom is all it takes to be a follower of Jesus. <laughs> it made me question the years of study and preparation I did to become a pastor. I should have just been passing out cards. <laughs> if you can be a Christian alone in a gas station bathroom, I don't know what we're doing. We've prioritized right thoughts and right beliefs. We have more access to sermons, conferences, teachings, study guides, commentaries, uh, book studies, all those types of things, and so on and so on and so on, right? We have more access to information about the Christian life than ever before. There's a ton of information about Jesus out there. And if having information about Jesus was what made us disciples who helped other people become disciples, uh, we'd be doing that at record pace, right? We have information as much as we can read, more. Just look at my uh, Amazon book list, right? Um, there's tons of information out there. But in the same way that me telling you about a roller coaster doesn't make you a roller coaster rider, me telling you about Jesus doesn't mean that you're a disciple who has a deeply rooted life that is making other disciples. Of course, showing and demonstrating a life of faithful discipleship and obedience is, is a much better way. It's a much more formative way of being a disciple who make disciples than simply telling people what to think and do. Right? So not only do I tell you what you need to know about Jesus, but I can show you. Um, and we have many members in this congregation who have lived amazing lives of faithfulness. There's people here that are wonderful examples of what Christian service and Christian faith look like. Um, when we watch them, when we observe, when we, we listen, we, we can see that they have a deep love for Jesus. We see people in our congregation, in our little faith community here, who their lives are shaped by their love of Jesus, their trust in God, and we can know that they have peace and joy that comes from that relationship. We can watch and see it play out. And so for us newer Christians, I think it's, it's important to kind of pay attention to those around us. If you're new to the faith, there's people here that can be great role models. But I'm pretty sure the most critical component in the development of Timothy, as he becomes this trusted partner in ministry for Paul, um, the thing that is most critical in his development is the thing that we do the least of as a church today. Uh, churches tend to do a lot of explaining. 
Um, we do some showing, demonstrating, but the most formative thing that we can do in the life of a believer is the thing that we probably do the least amount as a church. Inviting people to participate, mentoring apprentices, being deliberate about developing relationships with others so that they can grow in their faith. Saying to people, hey, come ride this roller coaster with me. It's gonna be scary the first time, but I'm gonna be there with you. Right, I'm gonna ride this ride with you. I don't think teaching about Jesus is wrong, so that's not what I'm saying today. Don't walk out here going, well, pastor wants us to stop talking about Jesus. That's not what I'm saying. But as a pastor who's paying attention to not only our church, but church culture, I see a tremendous amount of time we put into teaching and explaining. If we could get the ideas right, if we can get the doctrines right, if we can make sure that everybody just knows the right information about Jesus, then mission accomplished. I see a tremendous amount of energy going into teaching, explaining, sometimes arguing over these right beliefs. The flip side is churches, congregations, are lacking a deep-rooted growth. We're not making new disciples. I'm not picking on first church, I'm saying church culture at large. There's minimal formation and minimal growth in the lives of these congregations. And I'm not standing up here, and I'm definitely not gonna stand up here and blame people that come and sit in the chairs or in the pews for not making themselves better disciples. So don't hear that today. I'm not standing up here blaming people for not making themselves better disciples. I think the priorities we set and the tools we use to fulfill the mission that Jesus gave us might be the thing that is letting us down. So a while back, I gave us a working definition of a disciple. If you were here last fall, I introduced it as this one, one, one thing. If you weren't, you didn't miss much because it's really awkward to keep saying this one plus one plus. But the idea was that a disciple is someone who loves God, who loves others, and serves the world. And we, we love God through worship. So a disciple is somebody who participates in worship. And worship is, is prayer. Worship is scripture reading. Worship is singing. Worship is sharing stories about what Jesus is doing in your life and in the life of your church. Sharing stories of God's goodness. <coughs> we love others as part of a community of faith. Right? We, we gather in community as Sunday school classes and small groups and Bible studies, and we, we pray for one another, and we share our faith journey together. So a disciple is somebody who worships, a disciple is somebody who connects in Christian fellowship, and then a disciple is somebody who serves others. We serve the world by participating in Christian service. Whether volunteering in a church, or volunteering in community, or just helping your neighbor, Christian service is a component of a life of a disciple. And so as, as a pastor, I've been encouraging the various ministry leaders to help our congregations gather for worship. Regardless of age, gather for worship. Regardless of age, connect in fellowship. And regardless of age, find ways to serve. Worship, connect, serve. All age groups, all ministries are, are, are being shaped by this idea that that's what makes disciples, loving God, loving others, and serving the world. 
we got the, the next slide. You'll see this image around. This is just a reminder, right? We love God through worship. We love others through connection, through fellowship, and we serve the world through serving in our lives. These three categories of activity should make up what we do as disciples, right? These are active things. We're worshiping, we're connecting, we're serving. So it's what we do, but it's also the foundation of our outreach, the foundation of our evangelism. This is our roadmap to help people who aren't Jesus apprentices become Jesus apprentices. And I've identified steps people can take along this path, right? So we want people to come and learn to love God, and I think that should be the, kind of our first priority, right? Help people learn to love God. Let's invite them and help them come and gather and worship with us. Teach them what worship is, how to pray, how to read the scriptures. Let's teach people how to love God and help people love others. What does Christian fellowship look like? What does it look like to pray for one another? to support each other, to take a meal to somebody who has a need? What does it mean to be in Christian community? And what does it mean to serve, right? <clears throat> and so I've identified some steps people can take along this path of growing. Um, and I just, we just call them next steps. And if you, you have a bulletin on the back, um, there's this, just the, the next steps are listed there. I'm gonna go through these quickly because many of you have seen these before, but I wanted to highlight them because it's important as we think about being disciples, being a church that makes disciples, um, this is how we're going to look at and put our energy and, and our focus on, on helping people take steps of faith. You don't wake up one day and be a fully formed Christian. So these are our next steps. The first one is, is visit. Uh, as followers of Jesus, that's us, we want to invite, equip, and empower people to learn to love God with us right, on Sunday morning. So we're gonna invite people. Well, that's actually the last one, but visit. We want people to visit. I, visit and invite, I, I mess those up all the time. Um, but visit, we're gonna invite, yeah, let me, all right, visit. You know what it means to visit. I keep saying invite. Visit, we want people to be able to come, and that might be their first step, whether they're online or in the community or whatever. Sometimes their, their first step they need to take towards Jesus is to visit a church. The second step, again, is, is connect. Some people's next step might be to join a Sunday school class or join a small group or a Bible study, connecting with people in a smaller setting but in a deeper way, getting to know one another, praying for one another, sharing meals, all that type of stuff, right? Connecting. That might be somebody's next step towards Jesus. Another next step might be to serve. We don't expect people to walk in the doors, first time visitors, and start uh, working in the nursery. In fact, we have some policies against that type of thing. Um, but we do expect that at some point, we as the church should start inviting, equipping, and encouraging people to start serving. We know at some point, a disciple needs to participate in Christian service. And so that might be your next step, it might be somebody else's next step, but that's one of our next steps. Another next step is baptism. Some people might be saying, well, I, I, I go to church, I serve on this ministry, I'm in a Sunday school class or a small group. Some people's next step might be baptism. Maybe you need to public, publicly confess your faith and join the great community of believers. 
That's what baptism represents. People may do this as a result of worship, hearing a sermon, participating in the worship service and say, I want to be baptized. Um, But I really hope that our small groups and our Sunday school classes be the place that starts those conversations. That these small group settings, we talk about what baptism means and that, that our leaders and our ministry leaders would help encourage people to make that step. Anyways, that's baptism. Give. Some people might be gathering for worship. They might be in Sunday school class. They might have been baptized years ago as a kid. They might be serving. Um, but at some point, generosity um, is part of a disciple's life. And so maybe that's somebody's next step. And maybe they don't know what tithing is. Maybe we don't know what we're giving to. Maybe we need to understand better what the, you know, alabaster offering. That's a great on-ramp. If you've never given to a, a church ministry before, that's a great one to start with. At some point, people need to, to realize and participate in the generous life of being a Christian. And invite the one that I keep trying to, to make happen anyways. Um, people who have found life in Jesus, people who have been redeemed and saved and rescued and freed from sin, at some point, we're instructed to help others find that same life in Jesus. So somewhere along the discipleship journey, our next step is to invite people to church or to our home or whatever. And these next steps don't have to be done in order. This isn't a step one, two, three thing. And if, oh, I did it out of order. I, I started giving before I was baptized or something. It's, it's not that. Um, these are just small, tangible things that we say are part of a disciple's life. These are steps as we grow deeper. Um, As we help people learn to love God, love others, and serve the world, these are steps that help people engage in that well. And so you don't become a disciple by acquiring the right information. You become a disciple by learning the ways of Jesus, the behaviors, the relationships, the posture towards others in the world, and then live accordingly. So as a church, we are focused on helping people to take their next step in being a disciple in here so that when we live out there, we can share our faith. The church can't just tell people about Jesus. The church just can't tell people about faith. The church just can't show people what a Christian should do. A church needs to be a community that invites, it encourages, and equips people to participate in the life Jesus teaches us to live. So an example of that, what does this look like? If you're sitting there going, Pastor, what do you expect me to do? Well, the kids are a part of our worship time today. And in a moment, they're going to help us serve communion. Um, They're helping with greeting and some of the technology stuff. And as Jessica said, uh, as we got started, it makes things a little bit more, she said chaotic, I'm gonna say messy. Um, Stressful, (laughs) maybe, I don't know. Definitely noisier. Um, But we do that intentionally. Um, Maybe it's just because I'm getting older. Maybe it's because I'm looking at the, the world through a different lens. Um, but I've realized just how short of time we actually have with these children. Um, And there will come a day sooner than later where they will have the opportunity, the option to choose. And I want them to be able to to go into that conversation, into that, that 
evaluation and remember their church and the experience that they had participating in the life of the church. I don't want people to reach a certain age and feel like that the church was not designed for them or they weren't a part of it. Uh, real quick, I, this wasn't my notes, but real quick, this has been waiting on me. Um, if you became a Christian before the age of 20, raise your hand. All right, look around. <laughs> this is why, okay, you can put it on. This is why the emphasis on having kids involved in the life of the church is so important. So many of us received the good news, understood the good news, and became committed disciples of Jesus at a young age. Anyways, that was a distraction, but I think it was a good one. Um, I'm going to invite those who are going to uh, help us serve. So, Will and...